Joshua chapter number one. Joshua chapter number one, and this evening we're going to continue. We started a couple of weeks ago. It seems like forever ago, but uh, marching into victory, talking about a journey of faith. And and, uh, when we look in chapter number one of Joshua, we're going to read from Joshua one today, but uh, we're going to talk about God's promise for, for prosperity. Now, immediately somebody's going to say, now preacher, are you going to preach that prosperity gospel thing? You don't have to worry about that from me. If that were true, I'd be wealthy, 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 wealthy man. So let's take care of it biblically before we get into that. And uh, Miss Heather will tell you that I'm not that so because uh, she spent it all. Um, no, and I'm just teasing. I am uh, just teasing. And if whoever said amen, you're in trouble, not me, okay? You, uh, you deserve that. Well, the text verse for the series is out of uh, uh, Joshua where the Lord says uh, uh, there in uh, actually for the whole series is out of chapter number three when he tells us to sanctify the yourselves for the Lord will do amazing things among you and I believe God's going to do some amazing things we've come through vacation Bible school and it's been a blast I have had a ton of fun this last week and uh, with all of that fun I know that God's going to do some some great stuff as we present the word of God and and taking a journey into the promises that God has for us in a journey into freedom. Now Joshua 1.1, as we uh, we look and he tells us there, he said, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Now by the way, I have to do this because this just shows I have been in vacation Bible school all week long. And I go, how can you be the son of Nun? I've always wondered that. You can't. You have to be the son of somebody, right? But no, Joshua's the son of Nun. So some of you, you know, you look at that and you go, the gentleman's name was Nun. But anyhow, first number two, we better get focused on real important stuff, not my weird imaginations. Verse number two says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And uh, I want to encourage you that uh, we look and we have an encouraging promise. Do you realize there are at least 7,000 promises in the word of God? Matter of fact, somebody else has said that uh, there are as close to 30,000 promises. And regardless of what the number is, very simple, God's promise to keep every single one of his promises. Not one of the promises of the word of God will ever fail. 
I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I go, there it is. In fact, in Joshua 21, verse 45, the Bible says, Not one of the Lord's promises uh, to the house of Israel will fail. Everyone was fulfilled. And at the beginning of the book, God said, I'm going to make you prosperous. I'm going to make you successful. I'm going to make you grow. I'm going to, to fill every single promise that I've given you. Then you come to the end of the book, and it says every promise was fulfilled. That's what's really neat. I'm going to give you, here's the promises, and I'm going to fulfill every, every one of them has been fulfilled. God wants to prosper his people. God's given all things to his people. Now, the book of Joshua is about how to claim that prosperity, how to march in freedom, and how to be free to possess what God has promised. In 1 Kings chapter 8, and verse number 56, the Bible tells us, Praise be to the Lord, who's given rest to his people, Israel. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. In Psalm 145, verse 13, the Bible tells us there, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. That deserves a, a, a hand clap of an amen there. He is. You go, oh, there it is. Not one of his promises has failed. And the Bible says in Nehemiah, you have kept your promise because you are righteous. Then in the New Testament, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 20, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yea and amen. They are yea and amen. Yes, and so let it be so through him spoken to us by the glory of God. You see, the promises of God are real, they're faithful, but they have to be claimed. They have to be claimed. That's what the book of Joshua is really all about. What has to be done to claim all the promises that God's given us? Well, to claim the promises that God's given us or, or that he's promised us, prosperity and success, it's the birthright of believers, but it has to be claimed and conditions have to be met. Uh-oh. Conditions have to be met. You mean there's a condition that's there? Oh, yeah, there's conditions met in order to, for us to live in the prosperity, to live in the blessings that God has for us. Do you realize that so many folks settle far less than what God intended for them? So many, so many folks settle for so much less than what God intended. The book of Joshua is about how to claim what God has and how not to miss that prosperity. So after the death of Moses, God placed his hand on a young man named Joshua, called him to lead the people across the Jordan into the promised land. In God's initial instructions here, the first chapter of Joshua, the Lord makes it clear he wants to prosper Joshua. Verse 7, we read that thou mayest prosper whoever, wherever thou goest. Wherever you go, you say there's, there's that. Verse 8. We look down into verse number 8, and he tells us, The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. Day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We look and we go, there. there's the, the, the plan as God has, has given it. So we look and you say, there's there's the, 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 the simplicity of it. What? God said to Joshua, God says to you and I today. I made the mention of it earlier. Many Christians mistakenly believe that it's not uh, God's plan for them to pr prosper, that the promises are for somebody else, but not for them individually. Yet God's word says it's his plan 
to prosper us. So listen to Psalm 1-3 when he said, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. How about Psalm 35 and verse number 27, Let them shout for joy and be glad that thy favor my righteousness cost. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure and prosperity of his servant. How about 2 Chronicles 20, 20, where he says, Hear me, O, God, o, o Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so ye shall be established. Believe his prophets, so ye shall prosper. How about when he's talking to Nehemiah in chapter 2 and verse number 20, when the Bible tells us there, Then answered I them, and and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, shall arise and build. And then I look in Third John, in verse number 2. And he said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper, be in health even as thy soul prospereth. How about Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Have I wore you out with how much God wants to prosper you? I mean, exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ever ask or think. That's a pretty neat verse. According to the power that worketh in us. See, the great, magnificent, generous God of the universe delights in the prosperity of his people. Now, the question that has to be examined, what is prosperity in the Bible? See, if I don't examine that question, then I don't get it. So, number one, prosperity is not necessarily uh, an abundance of material things. It is not necessarily an abundance of material uh, things. It may include those things. Certainly it includes meeting our needs and what Jesus promised uh, concerning clothes on our back and a roof over our head. But it means far more than that. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and verse number 36, What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? And so if you had everything and did not have biblical prosperity, if you had the world's goods and you lost your soul, the Bible says, what would it profit you? You'd lose it all. Secondly, prosperity is not freedom from pain or freedom from problems. See, as a matter of fact, God allows us to have pain. Jesus said to the disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. See, we've, we've discovered that, haven't we? We, 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 we don't have to look very far. In this world, we have plenty of pressures and troubles and trials and sickness and heartache and disappointment and grief. And prosperity is not the absence of pain. It's not the absence of, of, of trouble. Prosperity is the, uh, uh, the addition of God's power for believers to prosper in the midst of a trial, in the midst of the challenge to overcome that. See, we've learned that God doesn't become a bridge over the Jordan he doesn't become a bridge over the troubled water, but God's a personal Savior who takes us through the troubled water. See, when they went through, when they went, they came up to the Jordan, what had to happen? The priests in the ark had to step in the water. They actually had to walk down in there. So God is a personal Savior who takes us through troubled water to the other side. He makes the Jordan River hold back in order that we might go through. So what's biblical prosperity? Biblical prosperity is the progressive day by day, month by month, year by year, realization of God's promises for our life, realizing and appropriating all that God has planned. Saying here, this is uh, God has the plan. 
Let's put it to work. All that God has promised in your life, put it to work. Now, that requires me to do some learning. That requires us to do some learning. I've got to learn those, those what, what are those things? See, prosperity is claiming God's promises, making them active in our daily lives. So I need to know those promises. Now, if there's 7,000 promises, I love you, most of you, you, you enjoyed school a whole bunch. You're looking forward to it. Kids, you're looking forward to going back to school, right? One of you. All right. So uh, teachers are looking forward to going back to school, right? You big liars. And uh, so here we are. You, you go, wait a second here. Teachers and the kids already go back to school. But how about this? If I told you that this year you needed to learn 7,000 promises of Almighty God, I look at all of you and you're shaking your head. You're going, no, 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 no. But if you wanted the best for your life, if you wanted the best for your life, you need to learn 7,000 promises this year. Would you be willing to put some work in? See, the problem is, is that a lot of us, we go, I don't want to learn nothing new. I don't like to read. I don't like to read. I don't like to take time to sit down and think. Our teenagers say that not too long ago. I don't want to think. I figured that out. I don't want to take the time to think. I don't want to take the time to read. I don't want to take the time to, to put the application. Do you realize the only one who's responsible for your spiritual growth, your personal spiritual growth, is really you? I can do all I can to poke and prod and encourage, and I'm responsible for all of that part of poking, prodding, and encouraging. But you are responsible for your spiritual growth. So when you don't grow spiritually, I love you, but you're not being obedient to God. It's not, be, not being obedient to Pastor Pat. It's not being obedient to Almighty God. Oh, it's time to grow. Time to learn those, those promises. Time to learn those, those things that God has for us. So first of all, to be prosperous, we have to obtain God's plan. See, if you don't know what God's plan is in our life, we're not going to prosper. Can't figure it out. If I don't know God's plan, I can't figure out what I'm doing. Verses 1 through 4, you look at those verses again. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, uh, minister saying, Moses, my servant's dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan. Thou and all this people in the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given to you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness to this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Phew! Every place that your foot treads upon, I'm, I've given to you. See, obtaining God's promise, claiming Canaan, means freedom. And the first thing the promised land was, was it was freedom. It was freedom. See, when the Jews were in Egypt, realized they were in slavery. They had to work in slavery under the cruel hand of Pharaoh. And they worked under the taskmasters and, uh, masters and, and uh, day in and day out in the hot sun. They were slaves. When they crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness, they left Egypt, and that pictures salvation, salvation from the penalty of sin. No longer was, was the Egyptian their master. God had become their master. But 
they come out of Egypt, they had not come out of, of the promised land. There are many people who come out of Egypt, no longer is the devil their master, but they've not yet entered into the freedom that God's given them. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when the Jews came out of Egypt, they entered into in the stage of the Christian life called the wilderness stage. The Bible calls a, a new Christian a babe in Christ. A babe in Christ. A babe wanders from place to place, looking and wandering and examining, but never attaining. They're a babe. They entered the wilderness. The Bible calls the wilderness a, a, a carnal Christian experience. See, the word carnal means fleshly. Been delivered, been saved, but not free. See, still dominated and controlled by the old attitudes and the old habits. That's not free. See, the old sins of our previous life before salvation. Oh yeah, I got fire insurance against hell. But I don't have the abundant life that Jesus talks about. Still dominated, controlled. Wandering in the wilderness. That's a carnal Christian. See, then the Bible equates the people who've entered the promised land, fighting their enemies, taking their land, claiming the land, and by trotting upon it. The Bible calls that spirit-filled life victorious life, the, the, the Christ life. See, every believer today is, is in one of those stages. They're in the baby stage, the wilderness stage, or you've entered into freedom. Simplify things down and you become free from your old ways of thinking, the old habits, and the old places, and the old friends, and all things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Living in freedom that God planned for our life. So entering the promised land, obtaining the God's plan means freedom. It means you get to celebrate. It also means fruitfulness. It also means fruitfulness. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they, they were in, well, they were on a desert diet. Now, I'm not too sure. I, uh, I just kind of look at this and I go, hmm. I like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You thicken that, that bread up with some nice thick peanut butter and you get the right jelly. It could be blackberry jelly. It could be strawberry jelly. It could be grape jelly. I'm not real picky about what kind of jelly it is, to be honest. I just like it. I like a nice thick layer of peanut butter, a nice thick layer of jelly, and another slice of bread, and I'm happy. And I remember when I was about Jocelyn's age, I'll pick on her. I'm down there about seven, eight, nine years old, and I could eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I could eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it didn't bother me at all. I loved it. Mom could pack them in my lunch, and I'd go to school, and I was happy. I wasn't trading that. You pack something else in my lunch, I was trading for somebody else's PBJ. I knew whose parents knew how to make a PBJ, and I could trade for PBJ. I was good for that. You're not supposed to trade your lunch off, kids, just so you know that. You have a tendency to get yourself in trouble. But I did. I just go ahead and fess up and tell you that I did. And I uh, I traded off for, for the best PBJs that I could get my hands on because I wanted the better PBJs. Now, think about this for just a minute. I like PBJs, and I could eat them just about morning, lunch, and dinner. But how would you like to have to do that for 40 years? See, 
there's something about the fact that I turned 15, 16 years old and I started liking real food. I like that steak. Whoop. Yeah, see, you might not like it now, but something about 15 years old, steak suddenly takes a change. Takes a change. All of a sudden, I like to eat steak. I like that. 40 years of PBJs? No way. How about this one? 40 years of what is it? That's called manna. What is it? 40 years. You wake up in the morning, you collect your food, and you go, what is it? I don't get it. What is it? Oh, it's manna. That's what we're going to get today. We're going to have manna for lunch. We're going to have manna for dinner. By the way, we're going to have manna soup for lunch. We're going to have manna casserole for dinner. And by the way, we're going to have have manna benedict in the, in the, in the a.m. for breakfast. And by the way, we're going to do it all over again tomorrow. Maybe you might get some grilled manna because you go, what is it? <laughs> Good question. It was God's food that he provided, had all the nourishment that they needed. But for, for, for 40 years, they ate manna three times a day, seven days a week, 12 months a year, 365 days. You look at it and you go, manna in the morning, manna at noon, manna at supper time. I think they grew tired of manna. I think somewhere along there they wanted some dessert. I'm pretty sure. They didn't want a desert diet. They wanted a dessert diet to come. I'm sure of it. When they heard about the land of Canaan, it was a land of fruitfulness, a land with grapes, pomegranates, a land flowing with milk and honey, and and they uh, longed for that land. They knew that when they entered that land, that not only would they be fruitful, but entering into Canaan meant a third thing. It meant fullness. As the people of Israel wandered about the wilderness, they they pictured believers who wandered around their life without ever entering into the promises of victory, the freedom that God has. But when Israel entered the promised land, they entered into a land of fullness. See, in verse 3, God said that every place the sole of your feet shall tread upon, every place your feet that I've given you. But you see, they had to claim it. They had to put their foot on it and say, by God's grace, by God's power, by the Spirit of God, this is mine. You have to claim it in your life. Do you realize that for you and I to claim the promises of God, that means I'm going to take God's promise. So let me do this for a second. I want to have some fun with it. I want to ask you, what's a promise that God's given you? What's a promise that God's given you? You can give me some feedback. It's all right. I'm actually looking for it right now. Salvation. So salvation. But wait a second. Salvation, that's a promise he's given us, right? But at some point, I had to do what? I had to repent. I had to trust him. I had to trust him. In order to have salvation, I had to claim salvation. Hands down. There it is. And we go on and on in that one. We could be there a long time. Anybody else have another promise of God that comes to mind? Unconditional love. So he loves me no matter what. He's going to love me. All right? But he will still correct me, won't he? He will still, he will still rebuke me. He still is going to judge me. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that, that we're going to be judged. 
And uh, we're going to give an answer for all that we've done in this body. Everything. So, yes, he still loves me, but I'm still going to give an answer for it. And if I'm going to claim that promise, I better be ready to, oh, yeah, own up to the other side of it, too. How true that is. All right. Good. Good. I'm liking it. Help me, God. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I love that verse. He gets so close. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Oh. Now, if I'm going to claim that verse, i got to have him on my partnership, don't I? I he's got to be in my friend zone, not the end zone, but my friend zone. He, he has to be there. I, I, uh, I have to jump on board with Brother Jerry over here, and I have to go. In order for me to claim that promise, he'll never leave me nor forsake me, I've got to be saved. I've got to claim another promise, doesn't it? See, obedience comes with those things. When, when we start walking through the promises of God, you'll find that most of them come with something that's very simply put, I have to obey in a piece, or I have to obey in, in much. See, I can't just go, well, here I am. God, you saved me. Now let's run forward or move forward. That's true, but I'm to grow, and if I'm going to grow, I've got to claim his promises. When I claim the promise, I've got to live that promise. Now, what does the devil want to do? Want us to know? Well, the devil doesn't want us to know that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus, with his blood, paid for our redemption, paid for, for our freedom, paid for every promise of God to be ours, and that it's bought and paid for, and it already belongs to us. It already belongs to us. Now, the devil doesn't want you to know that. The devil wants you to think that the promises are for people, but not for you. He wants to deceive you in every way he can. The blessings are for some people, but oh, no, they're not for you. Answered prayers for some people, but not for you. Being able to lead people to Jesus is for some people, but not for you. That's not true. That's a lie from the devil. The devil wants each of us to lead people to Christ. The devil wants to frighten us away from our possession. And so he comes and he intimidates. He comes and he intimidates. Look at the language in verse number 3. He says, I've already given it to you. Every place you go, every uh, I've given it to you. Not I will give, but I have given. It's already done. Oh, what a difference. They, were, they, they weren't fighting for victory. They were fighting from victory. I know that the battle's already been won. The, the victory's already guaranteed. God has, uh, God said the outcome set. You will be victorious. I, I've already given to it so you can claim it. Satan doesn't want you to know that God's already given you. The land of Canaan, he doesn't want you to know that by the blood of Jesus Christ, when you receive salvation, you see Christ in all of his fullness. All the promises of God are yours already. They're yours already. They, uh, they're there. You receive salvation in the fullness of Christ. All the promises of God are ours. So the first step to obtaining uh, prosperity, or the first step to prosperity is obtaining God's plan. Second step to prosperity is observing the provision of God and observing God's provision. Verses 5 and 6, he said, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. 
I won't fail thee nor forsake thee. I love verse number six. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto you this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. See, all of a sudden I want you to write down there the provisions that are there. We can look at those, grab hold of those three provisions. First he said he'll provide a conquering power. He said, I got a conquering power. If we're going to go up against the, an enemy, we need the power and the strength to be able to defeat the enemy. And he said, I've already given you that power. Joshua, you guys have it. Uh, children of Israel, you have it. You say, Israelites, they were, were not a military people. They were shepherds. They'd been in the wilderness for 40 years. They weren't used to going to war. And what did they know about fighting? But God gave them a conquering power. You look at verse 5, Joshua, God said to Joshua, Your enemies will not overwhelm you. They'll not stand against you. Be strong and of a good courage. He said, As I was with Moses, I'll be with thee. See, if, you, if we want the equivalent of that promise, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 7, Paul said the same thing when he mentioned the trials of God's people. The discouragement, the sickness, the sorrow, the financial adversity, everything we face in life, problems with our kids, the fears about our failures. Look at what God says. Nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. In fact, he tells us, when they came to the word, there in chapter 8 and verse number 37, when they came to the word more than conquerors, they really couldn't find a word in English to express that. They say when they were going through the, the translation, they couldn't figure out how to express how victorious God's people are. I think that's kind of neat. It means super conquerors. It means mega conquerors. It means conquerors to the max. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. A lot of people get the idea that God's going to win in the end, but there's no so much evil in the world and the devil is so powerful that God's just barely going to win. I got news for you. Got the wrong concept. He's already got it won. It's already done. God somehow, he's going to kick a field goal in the final seconds of the game to win the game. Folks got this concept that that's the way it's going to happen. And I'm so glad I'm on his side because he gave me a promise of a conquering power, an overwhelming victory. We go through the book of Joshua, we're going to see that this provision of God has fulfilled again and again. Now, you know, if, if I go against somebody and God appears to, to me and says, listen to me, that guy's bigger than you, that guy's stronger than you, tougher than you, but I promise you're going to whip him. You're going to whip him. Then what kind, of, what kind of confidence do I have? If God's the one who said it, I can call him names, I can taunt him, I can make him mad as he can possibly be because God told me I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I have a conquering power. Do you realize that when we were born again, we were born to win? You look and you go, well, there it is. When we're born again, we're born to win and, and we have a conquering power. But that not only that, 
We've been given a provision of a constant presence. We said it earlier. Jocelyn said it. When I asked the question, that he'll what? He'll never leave me. What is it? Verse number five tells us he'll never leave us nor forsake them. He, as a matter of fact, he told him, he says, there they are. What he's saying is, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And he's saying that God has not changed. God hasn't grown old or weak. The promises are as fresh today as, as they were when, they, when God gave them to Moses. He was saying, God's no respecter of, of people or generations. Somebody might say, oh, I, I would uh, have loved to live in Bible times when Jesus walked on the face of the earth. Well, let's go ahead and do this. Jesus hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. When Jesus walked the face, well, a friend, Jesus, well, there he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a promise. Sometimes we feel like we're all alone. Sometimes we feel like we're going through a problem that nobody else has ever gone through. Sometimes we feel like nobody understands that, that we can't possibly make it, but we have to remember what God has said. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5, God renews his promise once again, and he said, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I like this. I, I read it in another version, and I, I thought it was kind of funny because as I was reading it, I, I actually read it in a sermon that referenced another version. And the preacher said it this way. He said, listen to the Amplified Bible. Just buckle your pew belt and listen to this. I like that. Your pew buckle. How many of you got your pew buckle ready? And you got to buckle up yourself in your pew. But here we go. He said, I will not in any way fail you nor leave you without support. I will not to any degree leave you helpless nor forsake you or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. I want to tell you that's the constant presence of God. That's his provision. When you know God's conquering power in our life, God's constant presence in our life, that's prosperity. That's living in freedom. In a pastoral visit, a seminary student pastoring a small church visited an elderly Christian who had uh, been bedridden, and he shared with her the Hebrews 13:5. And he said, "My professor told me that this verse actually has a triple negative. That not only did God say, 'I will never leave you, nor forsake you,' but God said, 'I will never, never, never leave you, nor forsake you.'" She said, "Sonny boy." God may have to say it three times for you Greek fellas, but once is enough for me. I like that, a constant presence. Number three, finally, there was the provision of a continuing promise. A conquering power is constant presence and a continuing promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Like a clap of thunder, God said, Moses, my servant's dead. Bring on the rookie, Joshua, to lead the people across the Jordan River. If Moses couldn't get the job done, what makes him think that Joshua was going to get the job done? Who is he to think that he could accomplish what Moses, the mighty lawgiver, could not? You know, Joshua must have been fearful and afraid because... God said to him in this chapter, don't be fearful or afraid. 
God would have wasted, I don't think he would have wasted those words on a person who was not fearful and afraid. Again and again in the chapter, God encourages Joshua to concentrate on the circumstances. Not to concentrate on the circumstances, but to concentrate on God through the promise. See, God's promises are continued. That transfers from generation to generation. As I was with Moses at the Red Sea, I'll be with you, Lord, in the land of Canaan. I want you to know that the Bible characters have learned down through the years. The promises of God did not lie with their ancestors. Moses learned it at the Red Sea. Daniel learned it at the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they learned it at the fiery furnace. Paul, he learned it at jail. Peter learned it at prison in Jerusalem. Stephen learned it as he was being stoned to death. John learned it on the Isle of Patmos. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with thee. The provision of a continuing promise. God says to you and I in our circumstance, in our family, in our life, in our need, whatever it is today, God's prosperity is observing his provision. The provision of continuing promise, his constant presence is continuing prosper, or his conquering power. In Joshua 1.6, God said, For unto this people I will divide the inheritance of the land, and that's what we'll be talking about today. Now, Joshua knew well that a generation of people had died in the wilderness I, I would I would make you think about that for just a second get us to go wait a second wait what an entire generation of people who did not listen to God's promise died in the wilderness they were not allowed to enter into the promised land so the continuing the, the promise comes along and Joshua said, I'm not going to be another one of those people who lives in the wilderness when I could be living in a land flowing with milk and honey. See, for us, a life of fruitfulness, a life of fullness, and a life of freedom, if, if we will believe his word, by faith claim his promises. Leonard Ravenhill said this, he said, someday... Somebody's going to pick up this book, read its promises, and believe it. Yeah. Someday. He said the rest of us are going to be ashamed of ourselves and what we didn't believe. See, when we get to heaven, God's going to show us a, a huge storehouse of blessing and a huge storehouse of, of prosperity and we're going to say, God, what is that great storehouse of all these wonderful blessings and all these answered prayers? And God's going to say, those are the blessings that were never claimed. Those are the blessings that you could have had. So I'd encourage you today, enter in by faith. Enter in by making that decision that we need to make in our life today to be in the freedom that God has for us in the Christian life we've got to choose to enter in I can't make the choice for you I wish I could oh I wish I could make it for each of you 
But if I'm going to choose to be obedient, I can only choose for me. I can't choose for everybody else. I can't choose for everybody else, but I can choose for me. And you can choose for you. So I encourage us, let's do something. Let's do something. I want to enter the promised land. And I can go. And I want to be growing when I get there. And I don't want to miss out. I don't want to look over here and see a great big storehouse full of stuff that I've missed. Because I was too bullheaded. Too prideful. Too much attitude. Too much sin in my life. To say, Father God, we thank you for the privilege to be in your house. And I thank you for the opportunity that we have to learn and to grow. I thank you for the word of God, that it's truth. Lord, that as we look back, we can learn from Joshua. Lord, to see the children of Israel, that they enter into the promised land. The victories won, the promises fulfilled. But Father, more than uh, just their promises, Lord, we have the privilege to be able to look back and see, look at how God has promised in my life and he's fulfilled it. Again and again and again. And I give you praise for it. Father, we thank you. We love you. Lord, if there's one that needs to come to you today, may they trust you. Not wait, not put it off, but take care of business today. Come up and say, hey, preacher. Miss Heather. I need you. I need this Jesus that died on the cross. Would you help me? Father, move us as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.